Good morning, church. My name is Rebecca, and this is my daughter, Madeline. Our scripture scripture reading today is found in Acts 1, 1 through 11. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Rebecca and Madeline. Madeline is only a kindergartner. It's amazing. Um, I, I've never been in a church, I don't think there's any other church in America that has songs um, that has both um, a steel guitar and a pipe organ, a banjo and an oboe. So, I don't know what to say about that, but I think it's great. I think it's great. Well, today we begin a new series, and as I was thinking about it, I, I was reminded of, uh, of a time back in the 50s and 60s when, when a man named Edward Lorenz, some of you may know his name, he was a physicist teaching at MIT, and he was working in something that's so common to us, but it wasn't back then. He was working in computer-modeled uh, programming of weather patterns. We do that all the time now, but they, they hadn't done it. He uh, speculated that if he could put together a program and put together uh, the right kind of meteorological data, he'd be able to help predict what the, uh, what the weather would be like. And of course, we do that all the time these days. But as he did his research, uh, one day he entered uh, the material inaccurately, and, and one of the pieces of data that he put in was supposed to be, and I put the number up here for you so you can see it, 0.506127, six digits. But he only entered in the first three, 0.506. 
There's only one, one part in a thousand or so, so it's not very different. He noticed the error, and being the good physicist, the good scientist that he was, he decided he had to run the whole program again. Scientists, you would do that, right? But, but his intuition told him that it wouldn't really make any difference because the uh, data was so, so small, the difference was so small. But to his shock... He found out that the weather patterns that were projected were enormously different with that very small variation. Uh, he would begin to lecture about this and, and write about this. And he would say in later uh, talks, it was as if a, something as small as a butterfly flapping its wings in Beijing was able to cause a tornado or, or a typhoon in Boston. Uh, that's, that's what he said. In other words, he was saying that the universe is fashioned in such a way that everything is interdependent. And the very small things, if they're powered by the right thing, can make an enormous difference. Now, you may know that this has taken on, this sort of in the pop culture, uh, the name butterfly effect. And I'm sure that here at, at Caltech, uh, there's still research going on. It's called chaos theory that developed out of it. It also led to some really bad movies and a lot of pop culture and to some pretty funny cartoons. And I picked out one of my favorite ones about this. Um, here you see the butterfly on the left, flap, 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 creating a huge tornado. And then you see, aha, yes, yes, the sinister butterflies trying to create all these problems. So I've thought about this. If, if weather casters here in California, get their forecasts wrong, don't blame them. We, we just have to blame it on a butterfly flapping its wing in Asia someplace. That's what we have to do. Now, I'm not going to go into the debate that goes on about the effect of small things on, on big things, except I do want to say this. Uh, as we come to the book of Acts today, one of the things that is true is that God's word lets us know that sometimes very unexpected, very small things done by very ordinary people can have absolutely enormous effects, even world-changing effects. And that brings us to the book of Acts. Believe it or not, it really does, the, to the book of Acts that we're going to be thinking about today. Do you know the book of Acts was the second book written by uh, Luke, a physician, good, Dr. Luke, and he begins his second book in the way that any good author would do it. He refers back to his first book. So if you look at Acts chapter 1, you'll see him as he was speaking to his patron, probably. A man who probably helped fund his trips and to do different things. He turned to Theophilus, and this is what he said in verse 1. In my first book, Theophilus, what I wrote about was all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So if you read through the, the book of Luke, you'll see that that is there. Well, that took me back to the book of Luke to see what it was that Jesus taught and as you come to the very end, what Jesus focused on in Luke chapter 24. Now, this was after his death and resurrection. And he had these 40 days with his followers. And he focused on something that they had never understood. They'd never understood really why the Messiah had come. They had thought that the Messiah had come to set up a political kingdom just for Israel, you see. And so he was focusing, trying to clarify that for them. And if you look at Luke 24, especially the very end, verses 45 to 49, he said, now Messiah had to accomplish these three things. I think I put them here. Number one, in verse 46, the first part, he must suffer and die. They hadn't seen that. It was in the Old Testament, they hadn't seen it. Number two, that Messiah would rise again from the dead, second part of verse 46. 
And then number three, eventually the good news that comes from God of the reign and kingdom of God is going to reach to all people groups, to all nations. Verse 47. So I, I think it's kind of good that we're starting the book of Acts after we have had Good Friday and Easter. So if you're with me, those three things. Number one, the suffering and death. We came together and remembered that as a community here on Good Friday. Do you remember? Number two, the resurrection of Messiah from the dead. We, we can't, if you, do you remember? Last Sunday, <laughs> Easter Sunday, we remember that. So as you look for what Messiah was going to bring about that Jesus himself talked about, there's only one of the three that still is yet to be done. This carrying of the gospel to all nations has not yet been done. And Jesus would turn to them and say, you are my witnesses. I'm going to accuse you to carry out this task. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And what we're going to see is about how Jesus is going to go about doing this. It's going to be about him forming a new uh, cross-history, cross-nations, global community of people who have been redeemed through faith in Jesus and whose lives are being remade and who are given a mission to go out and carry the message of Jesus to the world, to identify places where they've never heard, to go call people to faith in Jesus and then to be involved in their lives until each one of us is complete in Christ. It was a huge mission that Jesus talked about. As as Madeline and Rebecca read, you could hear it. This, This gospel has to go to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus would say. Now, as we pull back and see the beginnings, though, it seems to be so small. And Jesus starts with a group of failures. Did you know that? As he's there with this group of, of men, these are the people who had failed because they had a lack of understanding. We're going to see in verse 6, they still didn't understand, even after all the teaching from Jesus. Uh, they were people who had a lack of faith. The things they did understand, they didn't do. And they were surely a, a group of people who had a lack of courage. They were found cowering back in a room saying, oh, it all, it all fell apart, it all failed. And yet it was through this group of people Jesus chose a group like this. Ordinary, very imperfect people who had failed. And he says, through you, I'm going to do a global work. It's as if he is going to do his work with something that seems to be no more significant than the flap of a butterfly's wing. You see it? And so the launching of this great movement of God was going to happen with something very small. We're going to be reading about it all through the book of Acts. And when we get to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, the task won't yet be done. And and we've got to take it up again because we're a part of what he has done. And the way that God worked in this group of ordinary people and then through them is something that I think can absolutely transform our lives and our church. So with that in mind, I want to take you back again to this uh, J.B. Phillips, who is a, a Bible commentary and a translator, has a little book called The Young Church in Action. And there's part of it I really like. And here's what he said in one part. It is a matter of sober historical fact that never before has any small body of ordinary people so moved the world that their enemies could say with tears of rage in their eyes, that these people have turned the world upside down. All right, brothers and sisters, I, I think you've come to know me. 
I've been praying, can we be a, a church like that? Is it possible that, that Lake Avenue Church, we've been here over 120 years, can be a church where even in our own uh, neighborhood, people would look at this place and they would see God so mightily at work in us and through us that they would say, God is there. Uh, they are turning the San Gabriel Valley upside down. Is that possible? Well, I got 13 yeses. Um, so you might say, well, well, they could do it, but, but they were more perfect than we are. Look around you, Pastor. What would you say about that? You should say, nonsense. If anything, when you and I read through the book of Acts, you're going to say, they are as imperfect as we are. How is it possible that God could use them? Because, man, if he can use them, there's hope for us. That's what we should see, say. Because what you see in this is that they were facing the same kinds of issues and problems and even sins that we face here in Southern California. They were. Uh, maybe you'd say, but they didn't face the kind of challenges we do. You know, maybe they didn't have a world that was then as antagonistic toward religion as we have here in Southern California. Or maybe they didn't have the broken relationships and marriages and families that we have. Or maybe they didn't have the struggle that we have in all sorts of different kinds of people worshiping together. What we're going to see as we go through Acts is the amazing story that, that the challenges we face, they face them and maybe the ways they face them were even tougher than what we face. Uh, like what? Well, I could take the whole morning to talk about it. I thought I'd just pick out two. Just so you, and we'll see them as we go through Acts. One, if you and I, and, and Jeff is going to lead us sometimes in an exercise thinking about how we in different generations can worship together, because it seems like that's really hard for us sometimes. Uh, so we think, well, maybe we should have different generational worship services. So if that's hard, if you look back to the people in the book of Acts, do you know how hard it was for them to worship together? They didn't even know what scripture they should read. For, for the Jewish believers, their scriptures had always been what we call the Old Testament. But now Jesus had come. So, so, so are his words scripture too? What he, is that scripture? What about these apostles and what they said and wrote? Is that scripture? You see, they couldn't even figure out what scripture they were supposed to read. And, and, and then the singing, what kind of songs are we going to sing in this place? I, I can imagine the Jewish believers said, oh, we already have that one nailed. It's, it's the book of Psalms. Right? I mean, that's right there in our scriptures. That's the kind of music God likes. And, and our King David wrote a lot of it. We, we don't have to worry about what we sing, but can't you imagine the Gentiles believers said, but wait a minute, now Jesus has come. And now all sorts of new songs are being sung, and some of them are found in the New Testament. Like in Colossians 1 and Philippians 2, you can see them there. I can imagine the Gentiles believers saying, we can't even speak that language. And that style music that's there, we can't do that. We've got to sing these new songs about Jesus. And you know the Spirit of God was at work among them. And, and the records seem to indicate that in the early church gatherings, sometimes the Spirit of God would be so much at work that new spontaneous songs of the Spirit would break forth and people would want to sing them. Should we sing those? You know how we would probably address that? What we should have are three services. Psalm service over here. And then this uh, hymn type service over here. So, and this, uh, those of you who have those spiritual experiences, you go over here. 
Read the book of Ephesians where they were having a hard time with this. Jew and Gentile together. And in Ephesians 5, Paul would say, sing them all together. Sing them to one another. Speak to one another. But do it together. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I just want to point out that if we struggle with that sort of thing, they did. They did. And we're going to see them do that. And perhaps the, the other one I just want to mention to you is when you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see they had to really wrestle with these issues of very different ethnicity and, and socioeconomic, the reins of socioeconomics that, w- that would have been there. Uh, because before Jesus had come, people seemed to know whom they should love. Pharisees should love Pharisees, maybe not those Sadducees. For the more progressive, open-minded Jewish people, the whole group, we can love other Jewish people, but not Samaritans and not Gentiles. But now Jesus had come and, and we began to recognize that every one of us, Jew, Samaritan, Gentile, we all need the mercy and grace of God. And they had found it and they had received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and, and the Holy Spirit had come, and we're going to see it throughout the book of Acts, and, and falls upon and comes within each one. So now they are indwelt by God together. They are in one family together. How are they going to worship together? They didn't even want to be in one family. You see how hard that must have been? And the other one that really hits me is that you see indications too that probably there were sometimes slaves who became followers of Jesus and slave owners that became followers of Jesus. What if you had a slave and a slave owner in the same church family? Now your brothers or sisters in Christ. And maybe the slave is going to be the one gifted to be the elder. How does that play out? How did they do it? How did they become, with all those challenges, a church that turned the world upside down? Well, you've got to come all summer if you're going to figure this one out, right? So you have to make that commitment. No vacations for Lake Avenue church people this summer. But today we're going to start where they began. I know we only have a few moments. We want to get to communion. I just want to show you in these first 11 verses that the foundation for this breakthrough, the breakthrough the walls of ethnicity and social class, the breakthrough the walls of fear and shame, the breakthrough the foundations of it are found here. I'll give you a couple of points. Number one. In those first three verses, the way I have put it, maybe you can put it in your own words. If we're going to be able to have a breakthrough, we must do what Jesus did and teach the faith. And you and I have to be people who identify what the essentials of the faith are that unite us. We've got to know, because, you know, a church like ours, we have many uh, disagreements about many things. And so sometimes... uh, Disagreements about petty things can divide people, but the things that unite God's people are the essentials of the faith that Jesus drives home in these very early uh, verses. We need to identify it. We need to understand them. So we need to be good students of what the Bible reveals as the center of the message. So we must identify it. We must grab hold of it. And we must pass it on. Look again at verse 1. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And he did it until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about 
the kingdom of God. Now, those are very dense verses. We have other sorts of summaries, the kinds of things that all believers have believed and that Jesus wanted to make sure were very clear before he ascended to heaven, what kinds of things hold us together and and that, that were reinforced here at the beginning of Acts. One, what Jesus did, the acts of Jesus. So we need to look at that so that we can know how to live. Number two, the teaching of Jesus, what he actually said. From those more specifically, the suffering and the death of Jesus and its meaning, why he had to do it. And number four, the resurrection of Jesus. And I can see Luke paused for a minute to say, like I did last week, this really happened. And hundreds have seen it. Do you remember last week? This didn't happen in a corner. King Agrippa, do you remember that part of the message? It happened. He wanted to make sure that we know that without this resurrection being embraced and believed, we don't even have a faith to pass on. Uh, Number five, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit who he is and that he has now come. And it's all summarized there in verse 3 with that statement, the kingdom of God. Uh, That God's rule, it's what the Gospel of Mark was all about. That in this world where so many other things seem to uh, grab us and reign and rule over our lives, like sin, like our own flesh, like systems of this world, Jesus has come to break those. And eventually when, when the work of God is complete, then um, God will reign fully. I talk about it to you so much. We read about it in Revelation 21 and 22, where it will be a reign of justice and a, a reign of love where God will dwell among his people. How is it possible that sinful people can be there? What is that going to be like? That whole matter of the kingdom of God is summarized, that God is the one who is God and he must reign. So in these, these concise verses, we find a summary of the essential teachings that I think we as a church and we as a, a body of followers of Jesus must make sure that we emphasize them, we identify them, uh, we, we teach them to our children all the way through senior adults. And then on the base of those, of those we go out in his name and call others to believe as well. So teaching ministry. So my thought is this. In a church like ours, as our world has changed, things always have to change. So let the kind of music the way we worship together, that that can come and go. The kind of programs that we have, times that we meet, that can come and go. But I'll tell you, these things cannot come and go. And I'll tell you, because I think all lasting movements of the Spirit of God have been founded on sound teaching. Jesus started this breakthrough. He started this church by making sure they grabbed the important things of the faith. And so I want us to be a place where when people come to this church and and you bring your children, your grandchildren to this church, they're going to learn this faith as it is is revealed in, in this word. Now, you're with me, right? I know that teaching alone doesn't lead to a movement of God. I know that just teaching and taking notes can numb our brains and chill our souls. So there are many people who say, let me just experience something with God. Let me tell you this, simply having the fire of the Spirit in our hearts that's based upon inaccurate doctrine always has led to heresy. Jesus started by making sure they saw what was true. And I want us to do the same. That's why we here at Lake Avenue Church worked so hard uh, to get that statement of faith in place. And, And those of you who know, to get that 
something that we actually vote on and make it as a part of, a, of our church. That, that was a miracle. Maybe not as great as the parting of the Red Sea, but, but close to it. We had to have, I can't even remember how many votes, but we only had six additional ones by the providence of God to be able to do it. But what we're trying to do there is simply identify the essentials of that gospel, of that good news faith that we want to make sure uh, our people grasp. And so now we've got to move from having established that as our statement of faith to actually making sure that access to learning it is available to everyone. Our high school students are way ahead of us. Jeff, you've gotten us way. So with our Timothy project, if you haven't heard about that, our high school students are learning the faith. And many of you are involved in teaching that. But I want to have the same kinds of of teaching programs that are... And so in this coming year, as one of our ministry goals, we're going to make sure that we have a course ongoing opportunity for any adult who comes and any child who comes into this church to learn the basics of the faith that have been revealed because it's on the basis of that that a movement of God can happen. So until we get that ready, we have the statement of faith on our website. I think we have the, the commentary that, that we put together explaining some of those things. Go onto our website to, to, to look at that. I want you to be sure to come to church every week and I'll do my best to open this word and point out the most important things that you've got to make sure that you hold on to. Be, be in small groups. Be a student of the word. But let me just tell you this, that if we're going to have a foundation to be a church that actually changes this community and changes the world, it's got to be founded upon the essentials of Christian faith that uh, Jesus nailed down before he ascended and that, that have been passed on to us. Number two. Just having that in our head, as I said, can be cerebral. Number two, we've got to learn to rely on the presence, the guidance, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father that he promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be witnesses all the way from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So, the book of Acts is a record of how God established a church of people made up who were as flawed as these people were and, and as we are. And, and what we're going to see is how God chose them, gave them a calling, but also equipped them to carry his message and his love all around the world. They were going to be unable, they could flap their wings all they wanted as butterflies, but it wasn't going to do anything unless this thing was going to be empowered by God himself, right? And that's what he was going to do, but they had to wait for him to come. Now, I don't know if this is correct. Nobody corrected me last night. But with a, a church like ours, with all of our physicists and folks, I'm always afraid of getting these things wrong. So I'll set, tell you what a friend told me and then give you his email. A physicist friend once told me that the power of the sun drives this butterfly effect in weather systems. He said it's only because the sun heats the Earth's atmosphere, creating enormous turbulence, that small things, that minor atmospheric disturbances, can lead to major effects like tornadoes. So he said, you cannot make waves without energy. Looking, Chris. Cannot make, need, am I right? Is he right? All right, if he is. What is the energy source? 
that, that takes this little bit of flapping we do or the flapping of the gums of your pastor as he speaks to you <laughs> and actually takes that into something that begins to change our lives and carries us out and has what we do change our families and change our community. It is not something, it is someone. So this is what you have to do, but you have to wait, he says. You've got to wait because you can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be going, but it's better that I, that I go so the Holy Spirit can come because he will come within you. Now, they knew something about the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them throughout his ministry that the Holy Spirit would come, but they didn't understand much. And some of them who knew the Old Testament knew that the Holy Spirit had sometimes come upon prophets and priests and occasionally kings to do special things. But then he would leave. Now, this was going to be different. The Holy Spirit coming upon unholy people needed somebody to declare us holy. So Jesus died so that when we're in him, we can be made right. Now the Holy Spirit comes, but he doesn't leave. And he comes not just upon kings, but upon all believers. Which means that those small things that you and I do that sometimes seem so small and ineffective can be empowered by the very Spirit of God. Have you ever given testimony to somebody and you said, Oh man, I didn't do that very well. I was faithful, Lord, but I didn't do it well. I'll tell you, sometimes years later that person will come back and tell you, When you spoke to me, it was as if God himself was speaking. I had that happen with a high school a uh, colleague of mine who years later said, your testimony to me at school is what lived on in my mind until I gave my life to Christ and now he's a pastor. And I said, how could that be? I never did that very well. So here's my testimony. I wrote it here so you can see it. I have found that it's when I own the fact that I cannot do what God wants to have done in my own power. Only then am I ready to be used fully by God. When I come before you as your pastor and I think, well, you know, I've been in these positions before coming here. I've been to school all these years. I am. We can do this. We can be involved in strategic planning. We, we're not going to get it done. <laughs> this, this matter of, of waiting upon the Lord. Jeff, these Sunday nights are going to be so important where we have time to wait upon the Lord. To recognize that he is there and to know his presence and the power of his spirit. And then to go, not in our own strength, but in his. That's what we have to do. Because when I say that to him, I, I find the Lord says, spend time with me, Greg. Wait upon me and know my spirit's presence among you. And his filling. So that then you can go forward. Not in your strength, but in mine. So in summary of these first two points. Number one. Before his ascension, Jesus taught his followers about the essentials of the faith. After they were taught, Jesus commanded that they wait for the Spirit of God to fill them. Then, with the truth of God in their minds and the fire of the Holy Spirit in their beings, they were able to go out and change the world for Christ. And I'm insistent that that's the pattern we're going to follow here at Lake 2. Which brings me to the last point. So there was a the time they had to go. They couldn't just sit there. Waiting was active waiting. Then we have to get engaged in God's mission by going out wherever we go and, and becoming witnesses, both in our words and in our deeds. L look at verse 6. So, after he said, uh, wait in Jerusalem, does that mean, they said, Lord, that you're going to restore your kingdom now to Israel? And he said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. You've asked the wrong question. But you will receive power. They ask, what are you going to do? And he says, now I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. (laughs) They ask, it's only about Israel. He says, it's bigger than that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And it's going to happen in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to Pasadena, California. I think we're involved in that ends of the earth. See, I can understand the disciples. They had this notion that Messiah was coming just for Israel so deeply ingrained in them. We don't change easily, do we? And yet Jesus wanted to let them know that he had a much bigger task for them. He says... God is going to do something much bigger than you have ever envisioned. And you have the privilege of being a part of it. In fact, as I read it, he tells these people, you will be a part of it. You will be my witnesses. So eventually when he goes up to heaven, the the angels say, well, don't just look up into heaven, uh, gawking as Jesus is ascending. (laughs) He said, yes, go out and wait, but wait actively. And when the Holy Spirit comes... Get ready to go. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is given to give us power. But the power is specifically to further this mission of God. And when you and I as individuals and we as a congregation spend time with God and say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. And and we want to be the kind of church you would have us to be. It's not our church, it is yours. We'll meet with you, we hear from him, and then we go forward. We will see God do things that we could never have ever imagined. Because God created churches like ours not to be a social club. He created us for his mission. That's why we're here. For his mission in us. For our remaking. There's hope for you because God is ready to do his work in you. And then going out of here through us. Uh, to be a church that turns the world upside down then. One, I, I want us to make a commitment to being ongoing learners of the faith that Jesus taught that, that is condensed here in, in places in the scripture and that we have to learn to pass on. Uh, the work, this mission of God must be based upon what is true. As long as the disciples had a wrong understanding of who Jesus was and why he had come, which they had, they could not further God's work. So we must be the best students of this word. Number what's revealed here that we possibly can be. Number two, I want you to make, and I want to make with you, a recommitment to being a person of prayer, to spending more time with Him, to pulling aside so that when we go out into the day, we don't have to go in our own strength. I want us to, to come on those Sunday nights to, to meet together with other people, to see if we can hear from God together with others, and to know that God is here among us. So that when we face the kind of challenges they face and that we will face, we can go in, in, the, in the security and strength of knowing that we're simply obeying God. So, so, and then number three, I want us to consciously figure out where there are people who haven't heard the gospel clearly. And let's get witnesses there. Some of them in our own community. And, and you might be one of them. Uh, many of them in the rest of the world. Just as the people have done before us here at Lake Let's figure out where people haven't even had a witness to the gospel. And let's make financial sacrifices to get witnesses there. You see that that's what this is calling us to do? 
And then we have to be the kind of church that when we're out there being witnesses and people very different from us come into the family and sit around the table, whether they have problems with documentation, whether, whether they are very different from us educationally, that when they give their lives to Jesus, they're a family member and that just changes the issue. Just got to think about things in a new way, just like they had to do. And personally, I want to call each one of us to live each day with a readiness to go and to be his witnesses wherever he sends us. And I want us to be a church that understands that its main calling is to be a place where the mission of God is going to happen in us and then through us with this prayer that anybody who visits here or hears about us will say, that group of people is a place changing the world. May it be to his glory.